Hello, friends, and welcome to the Bible in Order Faith Friday Special Edition. I am here with my friend John White of Luke 10 Ministries. He's written a very recent book called Relational Revolution, Five Shifts for Rediscovering Church as Heart-to-Heart Connection. I'm so blessed to have met you, John, at a recent men's Bible study in Naples. Thank you for being here today. You're welcome, David. I was delighted to meet you as well. It's a kingdom connection for sure. Yep. If you wouldn't mind, can you give us a 60 seconds overview of, of kind of your faith history, as, as much as you can cram into 60 seconds? <laughs> I just turned 76, so that's a lot to cram in. Um, grew up nominally Christian, went to church on Sundays, but no personal relationship. Um, met the Lord in a personal way when I was in 10th grade. Uh, high school, and uh, walked with him through high school and college, felt called to seminary, went to Fuller Seminary, uh, graduated in 73, became a pastor in traditional churches in Denver for 25 years. Uh, Then the Lord moved us, my wife and I, out of traditional church into the house church world, and we've been traveling in that world ever since. So that's more than 25 years uh, since then. That's the quick one. That's probably 60 seconds. That, that, was, that was amazing, John. <laughs> what did it look like? You said God moved you out of the traditional church into the home church movement. Um, and I know a lot of people are kind of an either or camp, but a lot of people nowadays are starting to understand that God uses both. Um, can you talk a little bit about that transition for you and when that took place? Sure. And I totally agree with that. I think uh, I was pretty burned out on traditional church. So originally, I was totally a house church guy. Then more and more we're seeing the, the basic values and practices are applicable in house church or in uh, traditional church. So more we'll talk about that. But anyway, I was a pastor for 25 years, Presbyterian. Um, and um, there were two main things that, that moved me out of that. One was I began to understand more clearly the picture of what church was like in the first century. So we had always, you know, I had a high value scripture. The scriptures are authoritative God for faith and practice. But the practice part, it dawned on me that our practice of church in today's world was pretty different from what it was in the first century. Uh, Specifically, and this was eye-opening for me. I didn't learn this in seminary. But what I came to understand is that every church mentioned in the Bible met in a home and functioned like a small spiritual family. That was revolutionary for me, that it wasn't the first Presbyterian church building down on the corner. So everyone met in homes. Church was family. And that was true at least until the year 300 or shortly after that with Constantine. So the entire early history of the church, an amazing growth. By the year 300, the estimates are that perhaps as much as 10% of the Roman Empire, Roman Empire, 60 million people, Perhaps as many as 6 million people uh, were Christians, and there were no church buildings that we've ever been able to find in that, in that series. So there probably were 400,000 house churches in the Roman Empire by the year 300. So the first thing was biblical. We could talk a lot more about that. The second thing that I began to see was that the form of church, the traditional church, building, pastor, program, all that sort of thing, by and large— I'll have to say that. There are certainly exceptions to this. 
was not doing a good job of making disciples. That increasingly Christianity in America, well, that we were becoming a post-Christian country. And I began to think about why is that? And I think the way that we were doing church is the it was the primary reason for that. And I began to find other people who were talking about that same thing. George Barna, back in 2005, wrote a book called Revolution, and he brought that up. 2015, Josh Packard, sociologist, does this research on the church in America. He finds that 65 million people have left the church. A lot of them were leaders, elders, pastors. That was an incredible, was stunning number. And they're basically not going back. He calls them the duns. Um, and so I, I just begin to have the sense that what we're doing as church, by and large, isn't working. Again, exceptions to that, but taken as a whole, church as we've been doing it. Somebody said that they left church in order to preserve their faith. An wow. increasing number of people seem to be saying that. So those are the two reasons that I moved out of the traditional church world. Wow. Well, you, you hit on at least one really hot topic when you said that all of the churches in scripture were meeting in houses. Can you give us some scriptural evidence of that or some, some Bible verse addresses that we can go and look that up on our, on our own? And, and the thing that just amazes me, four years at Fuller Seminary, this was never mentioned. Of course. I don't know if the professors didn't know it. I don't know what the reason was, but you know all the courses on church history and systematic theology, they never talked about this, and, and yet it's so foundational. So the first thing I think we have to see is that here's a radical statement. Are you ready for this? Jesus was Jewish. We always know that, right? And all of his disciples were Jewish. And so we have to really understand Jewish culture to understand where he's coming from. In Jewish culture, the home, not the synagogue, was always understood as the center of spiritual life. So it was in the home that you celebrated Passover. You had the Shabbat meal on Friday night. Welcome the Sabbath. Um, Deuteronomy 6, you know, when you wake up in the morning, go to bed at night, you talk about Torah, talk about the word. Um, a, a book that really had a great impact on me is um, Our Father Abraham. And he's talking about the Jewish roots of the Christian faith. We, I think we've not done enough work on that. So this was, this was built in, the idea of the home as the center of spiritual life was built into the lives of the early Christians. Um, so that's the first thing. That's foundational. Uh, then we see in Matthew uh, 10 and Luke 10, Jesus, I think, is giving his strategy for fulfilling the Great Commission. And what does he do? In, in Matthew 10, he calls the 12 to himself, pairs them up, sends them out two by two. So he's got six teams. To do what? To go find what he calls um, a, a home that is ready, that's appropriate. What do you do there? Impart the virus of the kingdom in that home. I think he was planting churches. And then we come to Luke 10, maybe a year later, we don't know what the chronology is, calls 72 others to himself, 72 plus the 12, got 84 guys, pairs them up, same strategy, pairs them up, sends them out two by two to do what? To, to find a house of peace. And it's in that context that, again, you impart the virus of the kingdom. Tell them the kingdom of God has come near. So it was home-based even from the very beginning. Then we go to Acts 2. They're meeting from house to house, same kind of thing. And then all the churches that are referenced in the New Testament, um, 
church that meets in Priscilla and Aquila's house, referenced in the end of Romans and in First Corinthians, uh, the house that meets in Stephanus's house, Nymphus' house, uh, Philemon's house. Um, that was sort of the norm for what church was like. And so those were the things that convinced me that the biblical practice of church was much more of a family-oriented, highly relational, highly interactive. Um, I'll say one other thing about that. I, I, I came across a verse when I was a pastor of a megachurch. Not, I was on staff of a megachurch in Denver. The 4,000 people every weekend three or four different services. I found this verse that I'd never seen before. And I realized this verse more than any other verse talks about what happened in church when you met together. I'd never heard anybody teach about this, preach about this. This was just revolutionary. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. This is where Paul says, when you come together, brothers, and the construction of that in the Greek clearly is indicating church. When you do church, brothers, everyone has a word of instruction, a hymn, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, that all of these things be done for the edification of the church. The word that just grabbed me was the word everyone. When, when they did church in the first century, everyone participated. It was like a spiritual potluck. Everybody brought something to put on the table. Everybody partook from the table. We couldn't do that in the church where I was pastor. We had right. 900 people in every worship service. There's no way you could do that. And so I began to see that was the pattern. That was the, the practice of New Testament church. It's what I would now call participatory church, where it's what I had been trained to do and what I'd done for years is what I call spectator church. John, what would you say to people who say that's exactly why we have small groups or care groups or family groups? Um, you know, we, we have our corporate meetings and then, and then we have these other groups. And so we're, 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 we're already doing it. What would you say to those people? And I always was a big believer in small groups. A couple of things. Uh, one is, it's the emphasis that we give to these groups. So the message, at least in my background, was church happens on Sunday morning in this larger gathering of hundreds or thousands of people. That's church. And by the way, if you have time, we have some small groups over here we'd love to have you participate in. I think that needs to be turned upside down. We need to begin to talk about the first and primary expression of church is this small group that meets in a home. And then, by the way, if you have time left over, come to the larger group uh, meeting. The, uh, the, the house church movement in China has a great motto, which, which I love. They say uh, this, every home a church, every church building a training center. And so the, the purpose of the large, there is a purpose for a larger gathering, but the purpose is not to be church, Watchman Nee one time said that he could describe New Testament Christianity in one word. And the word was mutuality. That's where everyone participated. You simply cannot do that in a building with 500 or 1,000 people. So again, you can do certain things. My contention is that the larger gathering should adopt the goal of equipping people to be church in their own homes. So you want a larger gathering? Great, I'm all for that. But what are we going to do in that group? And let's don't call it church. Let's call it a training center. And let's see if we can equip all of the households. I'll talk to a pastor. I'll say, how many, how many households do you have in your church? He says, well, I've got 100 households. What if you and your elders began to understand that every one of those households was potentially a church? Mm. How will we equip them to function that way? So shift in emphasis. 
Great. Thank you for the clarification. How would you uh, do that or how have you done that? What is, what is your emphasis with Luke 10? And after coming to this realization that, that maybe we're not doing it right, um, here's what it should look like. And here's where we are. How do we bridge that gap? Yeah. In a sense, how do we do first Corinthians 14, 26, that, that verse that described church in the new Testament. So I started in house church and all I had was that verse. I didn't know how to do it. And so I'd get my people together every Sunday morning and say, okay, let's do first Corinthians. 14. And they just look at me like, you know, I said, well, did you bring something today? Eh, not really. So what do we do? So there are two things that we have done. We call these, we teach these, uh, we call them rhythms of attention. And uh, much of what we do in our Luke 10 community, which you're about to uh, enter into the training there, is extremely simple. It is simply te teaching people these two rhythms of attention. The first one is how to connect with one another on a heart level. Um, most of my background in small groups is how to connect on a head level. So we always had Bible studies. I'm all for the Bible. That's great. But there wasn't often heart connection. So we have a simple um, practice, which we call checking in with sachet. Uh, sachet is an acronym for six emotional words. Sad, angry, scared, happy, exciting, tender. Everybody in Luke 10 knows those words. And the idea is when we start, we start with that. We say, okay. Pick one of those words, one of those emotional words, or two, or how, or pick some other emotional words, however, and we just go around the circle and we check in. And so we say, I'm checking in today as happy and sad, and here's why. And we just go around the circle. And, and so we're, we're learning how to listen to each other, learning how to connect on a heart level. Um, Romans uh, 12, 15 says, uh, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. So how can I weep with you if I don't know that you're weeping? How can I rejoice with you if I don't know that? So, so, and it might we might spend an hour just checking in with each other. Best tool I've ever found for creating community. The, the benefits are cumulative. As you do this with a group of people, week after week after week, these emotional bonds, these heart bonds, where you can love one another, uh, are, are just grow like crazy. It, it's, uh, it's great for new people. A new person, like in traditional church, you can come for six months and still not feel a part of things. You come the first week, um, you watch people checking in on a heart level, and you learn how to do it in five minutes. So anybody can do it. The new person is not like, you're going to be around here for a long time before you know what we're doing. And so they can start checking in. We tell people you can check in on any level of vulnerability you want to. Checking in today, happy the sun came up, I'm in. So that's, that's the first thing that we do in church. The second thing we do in church is this. So you take out a piece of paper and a pencil, write down this question. So Jesus, what do you want to say to our church today? Okay. Send you off for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, however long you want. Listen to Jesus for his agenda for church. It's no longer my job as the leader to figure out every single week, what are we going to do this week? I don't do that. So we're listening to Jesus, people come back together, and the, 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 the agenda emerges out of listening. Um, that solved the dilemma of how do you do 1 Corinthians 14, 26, because all of these other things begin to emerge. Teaching came out of that, mission came out of that, fellowship, prayer, everything there. So that's all we teach. We only do two things in Luke 10, but we do them really well. 
I, I, I love it. And I love your additional emphasis. I, I didn't, I don't think you mentioned it today, but when we were talking before, you said, um, when people are checking in, you don't, you don't offer solutions, you know, and we found that it's such a conversation killer when yes. you say, I'm really sad because my dog died and somebody just says, oh, but you'll see him again someday in heaven. If you believe in that, right. right. It's having that solution just shuts down. It takes the winds out of the sail of somebody who's sharing their heart. And so I, I love that you're giving this practical teaching. It can be applied in the business world as well. I, I wish that I had undergone that training when I was in corporate America, leading teams. I think it's, it's, it's powerful and no doubt that it works for the building of the church. John, now, now that you've kind of, well, give us a picture of where Luke 10, Luke 10 is today. How long have you been operating and, um, how many, how many people have been through the training so far? So we started Luke 10 about 16 years ago uh, because we're having more and more people coming to us. We'd learned a few things about how to do a relational church, and people were coming to us saying, can you help us with this? And so we, we started Luke 10 as mainly as a training community for people. We say that our mission statement is to connect and equip emerging spiritual mothers and fathers. Um, they are the key, we think. So if, if church is family, we talked about that, if church is family, then it follows that leaders function in the best sense of the word as healthy, mature, spiritual moms and dads. So that's that's our sort of rifle shot bullseye of what we're about, is training people um, how to become those kinds of leaders, those kinds of spiritual parents. Everything else pretty much flows out of that. So we started really small, um, and, and it's sort of been, we call it building the plane in flight, and we're continuing to do that. So we have, um, we have a, an initial course, which you're about to jump into, called Church 101, about six weeks, where we teach these simple rhythms of attention and a couple of other things, like what do you do when somebody shares what we call a heavy emotion? How do you handle that? Uh, the second level of training uh, is uh, what we call um, communities of practice where if you're resonating with what you've learned in Church 101, uh, you can go on with a group of people, usually four to eight, um, and meeting every other week to deepen your understanding of those. And then a third level is facilitator training, where we train people how to facilitate groups. Um, how many people? I, I'm guessing, I don't know, 5,000, 6,000 wow. people, something like that, uh, have been exposed to this. And one of the cool things is it is so simple that it replicates in the next generations. So we have just multiple stories of somebody who's been through Church 101, who's teaching it to their kids, who's taking it to the classroom, teaching their students, nurses, uh, teach it how to check in with their, their uh, uh, people in, in the hospital. And so we have lots of second, third, fourth, fifth generational stories of how this is expanding. We call it a benevolent virus. Um, when I was in the church world, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna see ministry happen programmatically top-down. This is kind of viral growth in a good sense from the bottom up. Oh, I, I love it. How do you feel? And this is this can be a vulnerable question, but how does it make you feel um, to have come to where you are and to have accomplished what you've accomplished so far? Not that you're done, you're, right? You're not resting on your laurels. You're not giving up. But 
how satisfied are you with, with where you've come so far? Yeah. Wow. You know, I just, uh, my, my birthday's, uh, just was a couple of days ago, 76. I feel like my whole life has prepared me for this and it, it's the most fulfilling thing that I've ever done. Um, I love the fact that it's not all dependent upon me and we've got some staff and so on, but that it's, it's mainly infecting people in the best sense of the word with these simple practices and then watching what God does. I mean, there's just more and more stories. It, one of the things will happen and you'll see this. Somebody signs up for church 101, right? You're going to be in a group of, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight people, probably people you've never met before. It could be from all over the world. I think we have people in like 39 countries. And we teach, we teach a simple idea of how to check in with each other, simply sharing your emotions of checking in as this and stuff. Typically, after like three weeks of this, people will say things like this. This is amazing. I've only, I've only known you people for three weeks. I already feel closer to you than the people in my church that I've been in for 10 years. How, how does this happen? And, and that's just delightful to hear stories like that. People saying, I've never been able to hear Jesus's voice before this. Uh, that's amazing. Um, seeing what they're then taking it into their small groups or their churches. Um, so I love it. Oh, that's great. And where do you hope to go from? Where do you hope to go from here? <laughs> Me besides heaven. Yes. <laughs> before that. <laughs> yeah, where are we going from here? Um you know, mainly what the, the leadership of, of Luke 10, and I, I love the leadership team that I get to be a part of. It's because we're practicing these rhythms with each other. Uh, it's highly relational, and it's probably the healthiest leadership team that I've ever been on. And I've been on lots of elder boards and different things like that. Um, so so we, are, we mainly see that our, our goal is to simply watch what God is doing. Uh, we want to pay attention to what he's up to and how he wants us to participate. Uh, we have a word that we've learned from Eugene Peterson, which is the word prevenience. Um, rhymes with convenient and simply means before. And it's the idea that God is always at work before I show up. So my job is not to make something happen. My job is to pay attention to what God's doing and see if it's something he wants me to be a part of. So that's what we're, what we're doing. I told you our mission statement to connect and equip spiritual moms and dads. Our vision statement, vision statement is what we'd like to see happen out there. It's so hard, so large that it'll take a long time. But it is to uh, to see a vibrant family of Jesus, sort of our code word for church. Again, a big church, little church, I don't care. Vibrant family of Jesus in easy access of every person in every region and people group on earth. When Jesus walked into a village, because he was the, the visible manifestation of God, people saw God. They heard God, saw God, tasted God, felt God, all the rest. The body of Christ now is supposed to be that. And so we want there to be a vibrant family of Jesus, the body of Christ. However you want to say it, every block, in every neighborhood, in every region in the world. Um, so that's the big vision of what we're after. I, I love it. And I, my heart uh, screams yes as you're speaking. And I know from experience, having gone to larger churches uh, and having been part of a home church for the last four or so years, 
being a part of a large church, whether it's a few hundred members or several thousand members, when you get a prayer request about somebody in your church that is having a hard time, I mean, depending on how compassionate of a person you are, I mean, hopefully everybody stops and prays, right? Or remembers that during their their prayer time. But if you never met that person, it's hard to really be intimately involved and have a a fervent prayer time for that situation, whatever it is. But when it's a home church, it's somebody that you're sitting on the couch next to or you're eating across the table from, you feel that, you know, those those people are your family. They really are because of that relational connection. And it it for me it reminds me of when Jesus said, they will know you are my followers by your love for one another. It's very difficult to have a, a true emotional connection to people that you've never met who maybe even go to a different service, but attend service at the same church or the same even church building. So, well, you mentioned it was your birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. I would like to, if it's okay with you, give a reverse birthday gift to somebody out there. and. Um, in honor of your birthday, if anybody would like a copy of this book, the first person, actually, let's say the first three people who reach out to me and say, I want a copy of John's book or Relational Revolution, it's already got a hundred reviews on Amazon. It's a great book. It's being very well received. It will speak to your heart. It sums up a lot of these principles that we've been discussing today, but just how much we need a relational revolution, right? It's, it's the church should be built on the relationships, yeah. obviously and the truth of Christ. Let, let me let me just add one little thing there. Um, I didn't write the book alone. Uh, so my friends Tony Daniels uh, and Kent Smith and I did it together. So this is our second book we do together. So even in book writing, it's a community. And so right. in the book, we're talking about five uh, core values that we think are part of the relational revolution that God's about. It's not something that we hope happens. We think it's already happening and we're just kind of naming what we're seeing out there. Amen. Amen. John, thank you so much. Again, friends following, if you would like a copy of this book, send me a message, comment on this post, wherever you're watching. Let me know you want a copy of this book and the first three people to respond. Um, I'll reach out to you, get your address and I'll have Amazon ship it to you. And then I promise not to ever show up at your door. <laughs> Thank you, David.